I'm in a series today called The Amazing Mercy of God, and I want to take you on a journey for a couple of minutes because grace is a gift that we don't deserve, which is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ, but mercy is not getting the punishment that we do deserve. And I just want to take you on this journey to show you some examples in the Bible here as far as people that experience the mercy of God. And uh, again, we're talking about the mercy of God, not the grace of God. But uh, over in Lamentations chapter 3, Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 23, a very familiar passage of Scripture, but let me give you a little bit of insight around this verse of Scripture. This was written uh, in the, one of Israel's probably more, most darkest times uh, after the fall of Jerusalem uh, back in 587 B.C. The Babylonians besieged it and conquered it and actually just destroyed the city, basically. And then uh, in the midst of this, the prophet writes these very, very words. He says, through the Lord's mercies, we're not consumed because his compassions fail not. Look at verse 23. This is powerful. It says, through the Lord, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And I am so thankful for this beautiful description of who the Lord is and the faithfulness of God, especially as you study the context of this verse of scripture or these two verses of scripture at the time this happened which we can probably relate to as Americans at this time. I want to take you also back to the book of Exodus, the Exodus chapter 33. Of course, how many people in here have ever seen my movie, my favorite movie, The Ten Commandments? Can I see your hands? If you've not seen that movie, I would encourage you to see it. If you've not seen it multiple times like I do, and uh, I would encourage you to watch it because that movie, in my opinion, perfectly captures the first point of the first aspect of Moses, of course, but it captures the nation of Israel and how God was merciful to them, delivering them out of uh, the bondage of Egypt into the situation they were dealing with and how over and over they kept turning their back on the Lord. And and even though God was showing supernatural exploits and doing supernatural things, they kept coming back to the point where they would either reject God, get mad mad at God or question God. But his mercy was with that nation the entire movie. And even though it's a long movie, at the same time, it beautifully captures the relationship God had with those people. Even though they had to wander the desert for 40 years still. Look what he did with Moses as captured here in Exodus chapter 33, verses 17 and 19. I'm in the New King James, and it said, the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken. This is when he was asking to see him. For you have found grace in my sight. Notice that. Or you could say you found mercy in my sight. And look what it says, for I know you by name. Isn't that interesting? I think that's so beautiful. God always and never will change, always wants a personal, everybody say personal, personal relationship with you. This is what Metroplex Family Church was founded on 18 years ago, going into our 19th year of celebration in September. It's all about this, that God knows you by name. He doesn't know you as an it. He doesn't know you as a thing. He knows you by your name, and he loves you in that capacity. In verse 18, and he said, please show me your glory. And then he said, I will make all my goodness, this is God speaking, pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And notice what God says here specifically, where we're focusing in on. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. What does that mean, Pastor Brian? Is God picking and choosing? No, but he's looking for the heart. He's looking for the individual response. When you make a step towards God, all of God makes a step towards you. Let me hear hear that again. If you make one little step, one movement towards God, then all of God will step towards you. However, you've got to make that step. 
It's up to you to make all of the step of your life. That's what he's looking for. He, the power of the human will is amazing. And he will not force anyone to serve him or, or seek him or desire him. But at the same time, if you'll do that, I promise you everything that he has and everything that he has desired for you moves towards you. All you have to do is move towards him. Let's go to the mercy of God when concerning King David. This is one I want to zero in on uh, among many. Over in 1 Kings chapter 15, verse 5, we know the story of David. We talked about it briefly, recently, about his adulterous affair. Again, it was a horrible thing what David did, and uh, not repeating what we talked about recently, but again, he, he messed up. He should have been at war, but he got himself in a position and a compromise, and again, it's not Bathsheba's fault. It's not anyone's fault except King David's. He made that choice, and he even had assistance around him that could, you know, said to him in the midst of that choice that he made, hey, are you? do you really want to do this? And he made the decision to do that. And again, a man after God's own heart, he was a slayer of Goliath, and, and again, a, an awesome king, a committed king. And he did great things, and he set many great things up. And of course, God redeemed him, but there was a price he paid. But notice what it says here in 1 Kings 15, 5. Watch this. Because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, watch this, and had not turned aside from anything that he had commanded him all the days of his life, except the matter of Uriah the Hittite. Isn't that, isn't that the grace of God, the mercy of God that would capture that statement about David? That, that even though that God said that David, you know, paid a price for what he did, but yet look what, look what the Lord's mercy said. I love this. He said, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and had not turned aside from anything that God commanded him all the days of his life except this one area. And of course, David paid a dear price, ladies and gentlemen. It was terrible what happened to David. His, of course, the baby that was, uh, you know, was conceived died, number one. Number two, uh, his... There was an ancestral situation that happened in their family between one of their sons and, and one of their daughters. That was just a horrible thing that happened to David and the, and the turmoil that went with that. Then the next thing was, of course, what happened, you know, with his son Absalom, you know, being hanged by his hair and being killed and murdered. So three things in those three areas along among, among a lot of emotional bondage and baggage happened to David over that period of time. And he paid a dear price. As you read through the Bible, a lot of men in the Bible lived long lives, many to 120 and longer, especially as recorded in the book of Genesis. David only lived to 70 years old. However, it's noted to be worthy of David's honor that even though he went through the darkest times, that God, you know, was merciful to him, as we see in Psalm 51 1. Notice what it says here the beautiful psalm that David captured by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. If you've never read Psalm 51, I think it's one of the most uh, humble pieces of humility of repentance recorded in the in the entire Bible. But notice verse one is where we want to go for this particular moment. Have mercy. Everybody say have mercy. Have mercy upon me, O God, according... Let's all read that together. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions or blot out my sins. What's the first line again? Have mercy upon me, O God, my Father. And David did that. And again, you know, sin had its price, and David paid a dear price for that. And it's recorded in the Bible clearly, the price that he paid. And again, it was a horrible thing, but the mercy 
mercy of God took David beyond that to his son Solomon, who did all that he did in building the temple and establishing the way. And the foundation of the mercy of God was upon David way beyond his lifetime to bring who? To bring Jesus into the earth. Isn't that awesome? And that Jesus was born where? In the city of what? David. Isn't that beautiful? And God restored David, and David was completely restored. And again, David's heart, David's transparency, David's life is beautifully captured in the Bible, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I also recommend Dr. David Jeremiah has a study that I've been studying along with Dr. David Jeremiah on his radio broadcast talking about the life of David. Just an outstanding study of this man's life. Of course, Dr. Jeremiah, to me, is one of the great teachers in the body of Christ, and his way of teaching, his way of explaining, his way of describing is one of the best I've ever seen. And again, David's life is a beautiful example of the mercy of God, that even though David made horrible decisions as a king, as a leader, and by the way, you, you just don't know what goes through an individual, especially when they're in high places of authority. We need to pray for people that are in positions of authority. As I worked with my dad through the years, and many leaders in the state of Alabama were in my home, of course, one of my family members was Lieutenant Governor of the state of Alabama. And so I understand the power that these people have, but also the pressure people have in these positions. My dear friend, Doug Weed, who I dearly miss, who's in heaven, who worked with five presidents, he said, you just, he said that George H. Bush told him one time uh, they were having uh, dinner uh, as they were on a traveling uh, situation. They were traveling together, and it was Barbara Bush, Doug Weed, and President Bush, the three of them having lunch together. And um, Mr. Bush turned to Doug and said, you know, I have all the secret service. I have all these assistants. I have all these people. And I live in the White House and I have all the staff that goes with it. And there's nearly 2,000 employees on those grounds. But Barbara and I sometimes feel like the loneliest people in the world. We feel isolated. And, uh, you know, that's what power can do to you. And that's what happened to David. That's what happened to so many others. I'm not justifying what David did, but we have to realize that in those positions and those times of authority, that sometimes it's unpleasant what these people go through. And we need to pray for them and believe for God's best in their lives. Hey, I want to talk about the mercy of the Apostle Paul. Over in the book of Acts, the book of Acts. Again, I, I'm a history person. I love studying the lives of biographies of people, as you can tell if you come to Metroplex Family Church. And I like doing that is because we can learn from their mistakes. We can learn from the, what they did and how they responded and reacted. And we see in the life of Moses, of course, I truly believe that Charlton Heston is the Moses and Yul Brenner is the Pharaoh when we get to heaven. <laughs> Not just kidding, but seriously, I, I, just, I just love the, the fact of these people's lives and how we can study them and, and glean from them and appreciate how the mercy of God moved in their lives. Oh, I also want to go back to talking about the mercy and grace of God. Let's go to Psalm 103.5 before we jump to the Apostle Paul. I'm sorry. Psalms 103.5. Look at this. This is verses, uh, verses, hold on, uh, 11 through 13. My apologies. Psalm 103 verses 11 through no, 13 says, for the heavens are high above the earth. This is David penning this by the Holy Spirit. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. Watch this, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, he's removed our transgressions from us. Isn't that powerful? I love this, verse 13. 
This is beautiful. As a father pities or loves his children, the Lord pities or loves those who fear him, who honor him, who choose to live their life for them. Didn't say they were perfect. Just said that they, what? That the father understands who we are and understands the situations we go through. Now let's go over to look at, as we have that platform, let's look at what they, the, uh, the, the God did in the Apostle Paul. This is interesting in our time here because the Apostle Paul, in my opinion, is like the Osama bin Laden of our day. I mean, he was a killer of Christians. I mean, he is actually one of the chief instruments at that time of killing Christians. And actually, we're going to read here at the end of Acts 7.59. Look at this in Acts 7.59. This is terrible, but this is it. It says, And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then chapter 8, verse 1. Watch the, I mean, I'm sorry, verse 60, yeah. As he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had done this, he fell asleep. And guess who was at this? It's about to say in Acts chapter 1. Notice what it says here. It says, and now Saul was consenting to his death. Saul was right there. With Saul is Paul, but he was Saul at that time. Was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution rose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And all they were scattered throughout all the regions of Judea, Samaria, except with the apostles. Notice that. I mean, this is terrible. And look what it says. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. But in all the midst of this, there was this man named Paul. And this man, Paul, was man, he was on a crusade to eliminate Christianity. And I mean, if you've ever been around religious zealot people, they are actually, they're full of evil. I mean, they really are. We don't see a lot of it. We see a little bit over here in America. But when you go overseas, and I've seen videos, and of course, our, our, our missionary from last week, as well as other missionaries that we know and support through the Metroplex Family Church, they shared that not all things are, you know, great when it comes to Christianity overseas, especially with some of the groups like those that are Islamic and others, and even certain parts of the Jewish culture. I'm talking about, you know, the Jews that uh, don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and, uh, or Orthodox Jews. I mean, they are very adamant about their opposition against Christianity, which I understand, and that was all the way back to Jesus' time. And the Apostle Paul, or excuse me, Saul at that time, was a part of that. And it wasn't until Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, we will go there, that, that he had this absolute encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. He's persecuting the Christian faith. He's persecuting and killing these very people like Stephen that are chosen of God. Then all of a sudden, on Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. I won't go there, but just listen to the story real quick. I mean, the Lord appears to the apostle Paul and says, hey, you're persecuting my people. You're persecuting me. And Paul made the decision in his life to say, you know what? I'm going to hear God's voice. I'm going to turn from this. How many people I think God or Jesus has appeared to and has made that proclamation? Stop doing this to me. But in the Paul's case, Paul said, you know what? I'm going to listen. I'm going to obey. This hard-driven soldier of a man, this religious zeal that he had upon him to think that he was doing the right thing, and then all of a sudden he turns and changes and has a supernatural encounter with God and through the Lord Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit and then transforms his life over a period of time and then guess what happens to him? He begins this journey and he ends up writing half of the New Testament in which he was opposing. Isn't that awesome in the mercy of God? Isn't that just to me, it's just so beautiful. Like David, the, who's, who's the main character in the Old Testament? It's King David, right? I mean, more things have written about him and then in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul. I'm telling you what, with the mercy 
mercy of God is, is just such an, an amazing thing as we see in the lives of these people. And again, I could go on and on and on, and you could probably go on and on and on about the mercy of God in your life. But I think that's powerful about David, that he survived shipwrecks, he survived jails, he survived beatings, persecution, and all the calamities. And he, one thing he did, though, throughout all his letters, if you read the letters that he wrote, he always, I love this little note here I got written here, in all his letters, he always magnified the mercy of God. Because it all began that God forgave him for doing what he did for Stephen and others that he killed. I mean, it's just recorded that he killed Stephen. We don't know how many others he killed. But isn't that the beauty of the mercy of God, ladies and gentlemen? I'm telling you what, God's forgiveness is, is, is just amazing. Mercy is forgiveness and compassion extended to those who do not deserve it. I'm just so thankful for the mercy of God. And over in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 5 in the New Living Translation, look what it says here. But God is so rich in mercy, notice that phrase, that he loved us so much, verse number 5, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when we were raised by Jesus Christ from the dead. It's not by God's grace, it's only by God's grace that you've been saved. Isn't that powerful? That is so beautiful. Even though we didn't deserve it, but the richness, everybody say the richness. The richness of God, the richness of his mercy, the richness of his mercy that you're here today, that I'm here today. The richness of his mercy over America, the richness and mercy over our government, over our military, over a lot of aspects of our lives. And I just, I'm so thankful for this verse of scripture that talks about how rich the mercy of God is. And then over in Titus chapter three, verses four through five, watch this. It talks about the mercy of God like this. This is powerful. So, but when God, our savior revealed his kindness and love, watch this in verse five. He saved us not because of righteous things we did. No, no, no. But because of his what? Mercy. Mercy. He saved you not because of his mercy. His mercy. His mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. That's the mercy of God. That is the beauty of our Lord. And so many people, and again, it bothers me greatly as a pastor, as a leader, that I see over and over God being blamed for things that he did not do. Jesus said very clearly, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. It's not God that's doing that. It's not Jesus doing that. Jesus is not putting cancer on people. There's no cancer in heaven. There's no sickness and disease in heaven. You say, but Pastor Brian, I've read in the Old Testament and I've heard, you know, how God punished people in the Old Testament. He sent this and he sent that. Yes, he did. But when you actually study that and look at that, he allowed that to happen because they allowed that to happen. He allowed that to happen because they chose for that to happen. He didn't bring that on them just to do that, to punish them. He's not this mean old man in this concept we have of God. And I know there's a lot of people that are bitter and mad at God. They blame God for a lot of things, but God does not get the credit that he truly deserves. And that's why this message, this series, this statements that I'm making today about these individuals, about your own life, when you look at, of course, Moses, when you look at the nation of Israel and how that nation came through all the adversity to be the nation it is today, when you look at King David, when you look, of course, again, at the Apostle Paul compared to the way we see religious persecution today. And look how God reached in, saved this man, and turned this man around. 
turned this man's life into a testimony. And I think that, that, that grace is so amazing. And I think it's also amazing as we go to the book of John for the fourth person, uh, which is the woman that was caught in the act of adultery. This is in John chapter eight. Again, I, I love the movie Mel Gibson, uh, The Passion, where they, uh, they show this scene in that movie. It's just amazing how after she's caught and she's brought before Jesus, how she approaches Jesus. Mel Gibson did an outstanding job with that. But let's read the story here in John chapter 8, verses 1 through 12, real quickly here. And uh, just follow with me. This is powerful here as we get to this. And Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Notice what it says here. And now early in the morning, he came again to the temple and all the people came to him and he sat down and he taught them. It said, now the scribes and Pharisees, they brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, most what it says in verse number four, then they said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in, the, in, the, in adultery in the very act. Now I think as we go on to the next verse, I think that's sort of suspicious. Now what are these guys doing following this woman around? I'm, now, let's just go on, okay? Verse number five. Now, Mo, now, now can, you, can you hear him now? Now Moses and the law commanded that such, a, such should be stoned. But what do you say? All right, they're trying to catch him. Look what it says there. And then this is this they said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. Now they're going to try to throw the law against him. But Jesus, watch this. Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with a finger as though he did not hear them. And again, the movie captures this perfectly. Can I give you my interpretation? You, this is my interpretation. Now you just made you made completely. This may be wrong. I think he wrote down. All right. And by the way, their names were not Bill and Fred and Bob. But just for the sake, just just work with me here, okay? <laughs> I think what he was saying in each one of them that were standing there, he wrote like there was Bob. He put Bob and he put the date that he that Bob was over at her house. <laughs> <laughs> and he looked at old Fred and said, Fred, you remember March the 9th at 2.30 in the afternoon? You were there too, my friend. And Fred steps back and chunks his stone. Now, that's just my interpretation, okay? I don't think, uh, that's why I just, I think Jesus was man putting it, because man, these were hypocrites. I mean, go back to the verse I read. They followed her around. Anyway, I just, anyway, let's move on. Jesus said, look what Jesus, he raised himself up and said to them, who is without sin among you? Talking about the, the, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, let him throw a stone at her first. And of course they backed off. And notice the next verse. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. He's writing their names out. He's writing it. And then they, then they heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, because they were looking at their names there, beginning with the oldest to the last, every single one of them were guilty. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. Oh, this is beautiful, verse nine. And Jesus raised himself up and saw that no one but the woman was there. And he said to her, well, woman, where are your accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And verse number 11, and Jesus, and she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. That's the mercy of God. That is the beauty of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll meet that woman in heaven one day. And at that moment, her past was completely cleansed. 
I believe, in, uh, and again, I, I, don't, I leave it for the interpretation of the Bible, but I believe from that moment on, she never did that again. And those men never did either. <laughs> because they had their conscience revealed of what they had done wrong. But the, the focus is not on these religious fools and these religious hypocrites. The focus is on the mercy of God with this woman and how God reached out to this woman and absolutely transformed her life and captured beautifully the same mercy he has towards you and I. As I close this message, again, there's a lot to talk about. I want to take it to modern times as a student of history, especially of World War II, from the influence of my dad. One of the most amazing stories that I've discovered over the recent years is a, a German commander named Rudolf Haas. He was the commander of Auschwitz there until 1942. And uh, in 1922, he uh, renounced his Catholic faith to embrace uh, a man named Adolf Hitler and the ideology of that. And uh, it started a journey that was uh, horrible and uh, on a pathway of murder and destruction throughout World War II. As a matter of fact, in his testimony after he was captured, listen to this. This is horrible, but this is what happened. On December the 1st, he was the commander of Auschwitz, which was the main concentration camp, uh, the one that, uh, the most popular one, if you'll allow me to say that, even though they were all places of death. He was the commander of Auschwitz until December the 1st, 1943. He estimated that 2,500,000 victims were executed and exterminated there by gassing or burning, and at least another half million succumbed to starvation and disease, making a total right just above three million people under his command that he had killed and admitted to his captors in his testimony. The verdict, of course, was given the penalty of death, but those in the courtroom and those on the jury wanted him actually executed and hung at Auschwitz where he committed these uh, horrible acts against mankind. But the day of the verdict, and I mean, after the day of the verdict, uh, he petitioned a Catholic priest to come visit him. And on that day, this was on uh, the day before Good Friday of April the 4th, 1947, he asked for a Catholic priest to come see him. And he spent some time with that Catholic priest or vice versa. And during that time, this Catholic priest spent time with him. And on Good Friday, which was the next day, he received communion and he sent his wife, listen to this. This is, this is his, a note to his wife. He said, based upon my present knowledge, I can see today clearly, severely and bitterly for me, that the entire ideology about the world in which I believed in so firmly and un unswervingly was based upon complete wrong premises. And so my actions in the service of this ideology were completely wrong. My turning away from my belief in God was based on the complete wrong premises, and I was, it was hard to struggle, but I have again found my faith in my Father God. Mm. And on the day of his execution, which was the morning of April the 16th, 1947, military guards took this man, Rudolf Haas, to this very area where he committed these atrocities in the order of killing over three million people to the very place they led him to Block 11, which was called the Death Block. And they put him in the very area where he had done what he had did or ordered what he had done. And on his way there, two hours prior to that, he was allowed to write one more note 
And this is what he said, which was actually published in the Polish newspapers the next day. And it read this. In the solitude of my prison cell, as I am being transferred to the place of death, I come to the bitter recognition I've caused unspeakable suffering. But thanks be to God, through the Lord Jesus Christ, that he has forgiven me of my sins. That's the mercy of God. And then after that, he was executed. I can't explain to you the hard death of three million people. That's horrible. We had a man in our church when we met at uh, Hughley Auditorium there for 10 years. And he was a precious man, a dear friend of this church's. And he was one of the first liberators in Dachau. And uh, he expressed to me one Sunday on a normal Sunday, nothing special. He said, I need to talk to you after the service. And he brought this brown envelope and it was stained with age. And there in the foyer, he showed me the pictures that he'd made personally of Dachau because he was one of the first liberators of that facility. And he said, you know, I've not talked to anyone in over 35 years about these pictures. And he said, actually, I'm going to go give you these pictures if you want them. I, didn't, I just said, I don't want them. But I said, I think you need to give them to the Jewish Holocaust Museum there in Washington. And his family arranged for that to happen. But he showed me those pictures and he said, you know, I know who God is, but he said, when I walked into the dock, when Dachau, and as I walked around that place, and he said, it took over 40 years for the smell to leave my nostrils. He said, I know who Satan is because only Satan could do that to another human being. What I saw with my own eyes and the pictures you see, especially the stacking of bodies on these carts. And he says, it's a horrible thing. And he shared many stories about this. His name was W.T. Owens. But after that, I just came to the realization that he made that statement. He said, I know who evil is, but I know who God is. And I know truly that Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And I thought about him, and I thought about Auschwitz, and I thought about Rudolf Hess, and I thought Rudolf Haas, not Rudolf Hess, how amazing the mercy of God is. And so I just want to pray with you as our worship team comes up. And I want you to think about the mercy of God in your life. Maybe you've got a family member. Maybe something you're dealing with today as they come up and get prepared to close this service out. Maybe some other things that you're going through and you question God. Listen, His grace and mercy are amazing. 